Hello. Hello. How are you, Deirdre? Are you well? That's Deirdre, by the way. She's single. And uh, very, very... Eligible. I don't know. What's the... What's the... Is that... Can you say a lady's eligible? Is that also part of the thing? I don't know. Eligible bachelor. I don't know if it's the same thing for... But very... It really is good to see you. And... Uh, Next weekend, Marcus and Adele Herbert are with us. They need a church in Johannesburg called Cornerstone Church. It is a really significant church in Johannesburg, and they've been leading that church for a very long time. They are an incredible mom and dad figures, particularly in our kind of New Covenant Ministries, NCMR, partnering churches world. They are really are doing amazing work. That church has planted so many churches, continues to work into so many different nations, and uh, really does incredible work. And they are going to be with us for the weekend. And uh, Adele's going to be doing the ladies' meeting. And uh, Mark's going to be preaching on the, on the Sunday. We're going to be spending time with them as elders. But just they're going to also be doing the leaders' meeting on the Thursday. Um, uh, just for those all the, on the leadership team, they're going to be with us there as well. But the reason why we do this is because they're not just guests, they're gifts. And uh, if you see them as guests, they'll just be the guest speaker that comes in and kind of, you know when you get a guest at home, you get everything ready and you make the house look nice and you kind of get them in and you kind of the gift to them. But when a gift like this comes in, an Ephesians 4 kind of gift comes into the life of a church, actually we receive them as a gift. And in terms of their hearts, what they impart, uh, what, they, what they're wanting to see, what they're wanting to say, what they're seeing for us. All those sorts of things are so important for us. And so we continually need these outside perspectives into the life of the church to make sure that we're on track, that we're going in the right direction, and if there's any adjustments we need to make. So uh, it really is an important moment, and uh, it's going to be a significant Sunday for us, or a significant weekend for us, anyway. So... We continue, I took the cap off and I didn't have anything to drink. We continue in our series in 1 Thessalonians. We will finish it by the time we get into Christmas. And um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13, last week I spoke in the, on the same text, same two verses from... And I spoke about grieving. It says, uh, this is what it says, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 to 14. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep. And we spoke about, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep, who have fallen asleep, who sleep in death. And um, the, the question there from the Thessalonians is this, is simply this, is what happens, Paul, you're talking to us about those that have, about the resurrection of Jesus and to anticipate that, and, and you've commended us, in fact, in, verse, in the first few verses of chapter 1, you said, uh, I love your faith that works and your labor of love and the hope that you have, the endurance this kind of endurance that you have because of your hope in the, in the return of Jesus. And so they kind of got this and they say, but what about those that are already dead? Will they miss this? How's this going to work? 
So if you're physically alive, great, Jesus is going to return. We're going to, he's going to come and get us. And what about those that have already passed away? Are, are they going to miss this big moment? How is this going to work? And so Paul is addressing this, and he's kind of writing to them and saying, I don't want you to be uninformed about those that have fallen asleep. And, uh, and I don't want you to be grieving like the rest of the world that is without hope. And so last week we spoke about how do we, what about grieving? What does the grieving process look like with hope? Today I want to talk about, there's three preachers I want to do out of this chapter, kind of verses 13 through to 16 or 17. Verses 16 or 17. One is on grieving, one is today on death and dying. Welcome to the Sunday preach on death and dying. And then the third one is, I want to talk about the return of Jesus. And what does the return of Jesus look like? And there's all sorts of theories and there's all sorts of um, systems and things around what that looks like. And we want to look at this text around what this text says about the return of Jesus. And so we're going to get that, I'll talk about that in the next time that I preach. But it is actually fascinating and I've been reading on it already and I've like just, there's just sorts of pre-millennial and post-millennial and amillennial and pre-tribulation, pre-millennial and pre-wrath and post this and it's just like big words and it's dispensationalism and just big words everywhere. And, um, but it is very interesting. Friends, it is incredibly important what you believe about the future because it shapes your present. How, how the future, how, what you believe is going to happen and how you believe that's going to, it's, it's kind of, it's not something that we, because we don't know exactly all the details of that. We certainly don't know the times and dates. Please don't put times and dates to when Jesus is going to return. And anybody that tells you this is it, they're Looney Tunes. Nobody knows, not even Jesus knows, the Bible says. But now somebody on earth is going to say that's when it is. That person, Looney Tune, put aside. Um, don't, don't listen to them, please. So um, don't, certainly don't start to change your whole life according to that because so many people have said, this is when the Lord's going to return and we're still here. So um, all those sorts of things, we, but we'll get to that next week. This is what I want to do this week is I want to talk about, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who have fallen asleep in death. So we spoke about those that are left behind that are grieving. This week, I want to talk about those, what happens to us when we die? I want to talk about death. Some of the most sacred and holy moments I've had in my life of ministry has been with people that are literally on death's door. On the moment of transitioning from this life to the next. And what happens is we, we kind of are, if, we, if we're honest, we're scared about death. We're scared to talk about it. It kind of becomes the elephant in the room. Everybody's sad. Everybody kind of, and you don't know what to do. You don't know what to say. You, you're kind of avoiding it. You're trying to, and then you start saying things that just aren't true. You kind of just start to, you're trying to make conversation. You, you're trying to make comfort people instead of, particularly for those that are in Christ, talking about what is to come. Because what is to come is more glorious than what we have right now. 
And so I want to talk about that this morning. We need, somebody said this, the ability to die well is an underrated skill. The ability to die well is an underrated skill. When you listen to doctors, Ray Way, who's a friend of mine, he's an eye specialist at the Interbeni, all his doctor friends say to him, Christians are the worst people to deal with death. When it comes to dealing with death and Christians are the worst. That should not be. Christians should be able to deal with death way better than any other person because of our belief in what Je- who Jesus is, what Jesus has done for us, and where Jesus is taking us. So I want to kind of fill in a couple of those blanks, and then what happens, because we, know, we understand this, Jesus died for us, we, we receive Jesus, he's made us alive, he's, he's paid for my guilt, my sin, my shame, he's connected us to the love of the Father, and made us ready for eternity. And most of us have an understanding that we'll be raised to life again. Um, some of us think that we'd be floating on, on, on clouds like fat cherubs and kind of live in an ethereal presence. We don't understand that actually the, the resurrected life is a bodily resurrection in a new heaven and a new earth, where heaven and earth that was separated under sin are now put back together into God. And actually God, we have communion with God like Adam and Eve had where he walked with them in the cool of the day. Where, where heaven and earth are put back together again where everything that was wrong about, everything that is wrong about this planet, everything, everything, everything that we think is green about this planet at the moment and is natural is not natural. It's fallen. We don't know, we don't know what unfallen, redeemed material life looks like. where the lion and the lamb coexist. This is the world that we've got to look forward to, a, a, bodily, a bodily resurrection where the life is no longer in the blood but by the Spirit of God. On earth, your life is in the blood. The life is in the blood. For, the, for sin to be forgiven, a life has to be taken. Blood has to flow because life is in the blood. But in the new heaven and earth, the life will be by the Spirit of God. We'll be animated by the Spirit of God more than blood, like blood is to our bodies now. What does that look like? I do not know. I do know this, like Jesus, we're able to be in places and get through walls and dimensions we do not understand. But that's what we've got to look forward to, a bodily resurrection where we recognize each other, know each other. I'm not going to preach on heaven. I just want a bodily resurrection. That's the big idea. So we, but to get there from this life, we need to learn, we need to have an understanding of what it means to die in peace. What it means to transition from this life to the next. Nobody looks forward to the process of death especially if it's a long and ugly and, and painful one. If you've got cancer and there's lots of pain or something like that, nobody looks forward to that. But there comes a time when your fight is over 
Your faithful healing comes to an end. Friends, we've got to learn, and, and one of the reasons why we battle to deal with death as Christians is because we've got faith for healing, because we've got faith for life. But remember, our faithful life is not just for life here and now, it is for eternal life. And so what happens is we come, we, we, we face death, and we, we come to these moments, and we trust in God, and we're praying for healing, and we're praying for healing, and we're praying for healing. But there comes a time, friends, when you've got to stop praying for healing in the here and now and know that God will heal them through death because on the other side of death is perfect healing. There's a line that you, that you have where you now begin to say, Lord, we've now got to prepare this person for their transition into the next life. And not put disappointment in their, life, in their hearts because they're not getting healed in this life. That peace may come, that love may flow. We've got, to, we've got to learn to do that well. And friends, the reason why this is important for us is because every single one of us seated here today will encounter people like this at some stage in our lives. And we need to know how to minister to them. Remember, you are a minister of God under the lordship of Jesus by the Spirit of God. You need to know how to minister to people that are dying, your friends, your family. Me, us, you. When we die one day, what are we going to do? How are we going to approach it? What's it going to be? How's it going to be? Got to have faith to do both to die well and to minister to the dying well. And that really is why I want to make sure that we have something of this in our bank ready to go. We should always be living ready to meet Jesus. Always, friends. Always ready to meet Jesus. And as I said last week, death is not the plan of God. Death is the result of sin. And Jesus deals with death, and Jesus overcomes death. Jesus is in fact, death is in fact the negation of everything for which God created man. It's, it's, it stands against everything for which God created man, death. God wanted eternal life, and eter his life was meant to be our life with him for eternity. Death cut that short. And so that's not what, and what Jesus gives us, he gives us back that Zoe life in our hearts right now so that we are prepared inside of us, in our hearts, ready for that day when our body experiences that as well in the resurrection. If Christ destroyed death, you might ask, why must believers still die? Well, because we live in the overlap of the ages. And they're already not yet of the kingdom. We still live in a fallen, on a fallen earth in a fallen age. Although Christ is broken into this age and making us ready for heaven, making us ready for a new heaven and a new earth. Until he returns, friends, death, disease, are part of life. Discord, Division, part of life. 
But in Christ, we learn to overcome those things with faith and in love. Ultimately, friends, death is no longer the enemy that it was. Death becomes not an end, but a new beginning. Remember, we live on this life for 80-odd years, 70, 80-odd years. And Paul says, I want you to grieve with hope. I was chatting to Bernie on, on a prayer meeting on Thursday. Her mom is not in a good way. Think of this, friends. For your parents or somebody that knows Jesus, you've got to know them by gift of God because they gave birth to you or you've got to love them in this life for a period of time, 40, 50 years. That's a gift of God. The gift of God is that he chose you and breathed life into you through the blood of Jesus so that you would not, not just know each other for 40 or 50 years, but have fellowship and intimacy for, the, for eternity. And it's this difficult part of growing to love somebody for these 40 or 50 years and then losing them for a time that puts sadness and loss into our hearts that we've got to then go through the grieving process. But we grieve with hope because we know this is that there will be eternity to come. And when you're in eternity and you're looking back, this feels like a moment. It's a gift. It's a gift to grieve because it's a gift to love. If you didn't love, you wouldn't grieve. So that gift of God in Christ opens up a greater gift in God for eternity. This is why it's so important to understand these things because we begin to grow, draw comfort from these things. That grandmother that's dying on her bed that has maybe got to meet some of her grandchildren, but know there's more to come, will know this on the other side of eternity. I will know my, all my grandchildren in Christ. It's a beautiful thing. It's, what we, it's part of our hope, friends. It's, why, it's part of the way we process death and grief. Okay, so death is no longer the enemy it was, but it's a new beginning, it's a transition, it's the idea of falling asleep and waking up in him. Ultimately, we'll find healing through death. When you pass through death when we, and, and we get resurrection bodies, our resurrection bodies are completely devoid of death and disease and destruction. They're made whole, they're made new. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For the believer in Jesus, death has lost its sting. It doesn't mean it's not painful. It's just lost its sting. You know when you have a bee sting? The longer you leave the sting in there, the more it's pushing out poison. Do you want to you get that bee sting out of there? Then eventually it dissipates. It's like death has lost its sting. 
It's going to hurt. You're going to grieve. But it's lost its ultimate sting that's going to drop you. You will recover. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some love. You will recover because you've got hope in this process I'm talking about this morning. Philippians chapter 1 verse 21 says this, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which, I, yet which, I, I, which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your account. Paul is saying this. Paul who says he's been to the third heaven. He's been to paradise. He says this, for me to live is to die, for, to, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I would much rather be with Jesus right now than to be here. He's welcoming death. See, death has lost its sting when we've had a revelation of who he is. How do we die well? How do we teach people? How do we minister to people that and get them to die well. George Maloney said this, death is the most important moment of our lives. It brings together and is conditioned by our previous choices. We are at our death the way we have chosen to live all our lives. We are at our death the way we have chosen to live all our lives. So when you die, you become fully the person you've chosen to live all your life. That's why to die well, you need to live well. If you've lived grumpy, cynical, bitter, unforgiveness, all those things on your deathbed, all those things become a reality. If you've lived in freedom, in life, and in love, in generosity on your deathbed, that's what becomes the reality. In order to die well, we need to live well. At death, we become the person we've become all our lives. And you see that often with people. The, great, the, the, the closer they come towards death's door, the worse the person they become. You think, surely you'd become a better person. You're about to die. You'd put things right with your family, and you, people don't. They become worse. I'm saying that to us, friends, because you need to live well to die well. Put, live right, put right. Put right with people. Live. We want to be those people that are full of life. That when it comes to my when it comes to my death, I want to be happy. I want to be joyful. I want to be at peace. Lord, give me the courage to face my pain if I'm going to die a painful death, so that I can be at joy and, and peace, so that my family can be comforted in that moment to know that Dad was at peace and at rest and welcomed the face of his Savior. It's important. 
You want your family to grieve well, you know it's going to be tough for them. Bow well with faith, with joy, with peace. Often when people die, over time, the flesh kind of becomes frail. And what happens is the veil between this life and that life becomes thinner and thinner and thinner. And often people have serious encounters with God. They start to see. It's kind of, the, it's like the veil becomes thinner and thinner. The, because you see, heaven and earth, again, misconception. Heaven is up there and earth is down here. That's not how this works, friends. Heaven and earth are here in different realms. So when that, realm, when that thing gets thin and thin, you actually begin to, people begin to see things and they have encounters, angelic encounters and encounters with Jesus. And I remember when Sheena was dying. Sheena died so well. Full of faith. Wanting to meet her Savior. I asked her, I said, Sheena, how are you experiencing anything? Are you seeing anything? Like, I'm intrigued. I want to know. She said, Stan, I actually haven't seen anything. I've just got this incredible peace in my heart. I cannot wait to see Jesus. Cannot wait to see Jesus. What happens when we die, friends? What happens when we die? Well, the Bible speaks, as I've said, speaks very plainly about the resurrection of the dead at the end of the age. And I've spoken a little, about, a little bit about that. But there is this reality that there's this kind of two-phase approach to the resurrection. Because when, until that resurrection day is a day in the future, and everybody that is dead in Christ and everybody that is alive in Christ will be raised from the dead and given resurrection bodies. But what happens in between then and now? What happens between then and now is important, so we need to understand this. The Bible doesn't like, tell you lots about this. It kind of alludes to it more. There's a, there's a, there's a kind of a, a period between death and resurrection which theologians have called the intermediate state. It's the intermediate state. It's this, it's this time between, it, as I said, little, not much said about this. It's kind of, you kind of put the pieces together. But whenever the Bible does talk about this, it is always in the context of looking forward to a bodily resurrection. So the idea is not to emphasize this. It's to look forward to that day when Jesus returns and gives us a new body. What we do know is that you don't cease to exist. So it's not annihilation. You don't cease to exist. When you die, you don't cease to exist. I trust we know that as believers. It's not soul sleep. You don't, when you die, go to sleep for a period of time and then wake up when the resurrection happens. When you die, you go into this intermediate state where you are fully conscious about what's happening, although you don't have a resurrected body. And it's not purgatory. You don't get a second chance to redeem yourself. You can't for pray for the dead to be saved. You can't put money into something for the dead to be 
come onto the right side of Jesus. So we know those things. It's not that. The intermediate state probably best and easiest described by Jesus with the thief on the cross. Luke chapter 23 verse 42 says this. Jesus said, remember me, and he, and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. So Jesus says to me, today you'll be with me in paradise. This man has acknowledged he has had a bit of an argument with the other, other criminal on the cross. And Jesus, and the, he said, hey, listen, stop talking to him like this. This is God you're talking to. You're a criminal. He's not. He shouldn't be here. And Jesus recognizes this man knows the king. And so he's welcome into the kingdom. And so he says, no, today you'll be with me in paradise. Paradise. What's paradise? Often what happens is when, people, when believers and the culture that we're in today reads that, we think, well, that's heaven. That's what we're going to. When, we're gonna, when, we get, when Jesus comes, we're going to be in paradise. It's not paradise. That's not heaven. Remember, a resurrected body lives on a new heaven and a new earth. Please remember that. A resurrected body lives on a new heaven and a new earth. I'm talking about what happens between then and now. One, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2, is very informative around this. Let's, have a, let's read that quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2. Talking about what is paradise. Paul says this. Verse 2, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. Whether it was in body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. So Paul equates that same word paradise with third heaven. What is paradise? What is third heaven? It's simply this, friends, the place where God dwells. It's just the place where God dwells. So dead believers, when they die, are caught up into the place where God dwells. And you stay where God dwells until Jesus returns and gives you a resurrected body and makes you ready for a new heaven and life with him on earth, for, on a new heaven and a new earth for eternity. It's so important to have an understanding of some of these things so that we can have hope for ministering to people. Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, Paul says this, My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. The Greek construction that here indicates two aspects. One, the timing. The moment he dies, the moment he dies, that very same moment he will be with Christ. 
So we understand that when you die, you immediately, your soul, spirit is immediately with Jesus. And better by far, it's better than his present fellowship with Christ now. So immediately you're back, you're with Jesus, and your fellowship with Jesus is better than what it is now by far. So there's an intimacy with Jesus that is way better than now. So what do we expect when we die? We expect to be caught up into the place where God dwells immediately, that when we die, when we take our last breath, we wake up, in a sense, in the presence of God, in the presence of God, with an intimacy that we've never known with God ever before. Fully aware, fully, con- fully conscious. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8 says this, we'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Again, the Greek tense implies that the immediate transition at death from the body to the Lord. It's immediate. It's straight from there to there. So there's no in-between space. You're here and then you're there. And at home with the Lord, again, indicates a very intimate fellowship with Jesus. So this place between dying and the resurrection of our bodies is this place in the presence of God, in the presence of Jesus, in a very intermediate, in, intimate, homely environment of consciousness. And you think, well, how long is that going to be? Remember, when you're with God, and God's thing, He's outside of time. That can feel like a moment. But that's what the intermediate state looks like from the Scriptures. All the time, looking forward, waiting in anticipation for the resurrection of our bodies when Jesus returns. Immediately upon death, the believer goes to be with the Lord in a state which is better by far than the one we have right now. With intimate fellowship. You see, the believer is never separated from the person or the love of Christ. Ever. Nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus. Nothing can separate you from the presence of Jesus. Not even death. Jesus has promised those who believe in him will never die. We have a hope. And although that is where we go, we still wait in eager expectation for those, for that time again. I want to emphasize, we wait in eager expectation for the second coming of Jesus, where he raises us. So don't be afraid of death, friends. When I was praying this morning about this, I thought, you know what? People have panic attacks. I know a friend of mine has panic attacks because he feels like he's about to die. Heart rate goes up and you start, eventually you have to go to the hospital and they say, listen, there's nothing wrong with you. The very thing that you need right then is for the peace of God to descend because there's nothing to fear in death. I feel like God wants to deal with panic attacks this morning. God wants to deal with the fear of death, friends. 
If you are a believer, you don't have to fear death. You'll never be separated from the love of God. You'll never be separated from the presence of Jesus. Don't be afraid of death and dying. Friends, it is one of the most, it's the greatest opportunity we have to minister to people that are most vulnerable on their deathbed. It's in that moment where you with gentleness and kindness and vulnerability and love and, and wisdom can come and bring the love of Jesus into the room. It's in that moment where you can begin to talk about the elephant, get the elephant out of the room. Ask them the questions. Have you made right with God? Yes, and if they say, yes, I have. Are you a Christian? Yes, I am. Well, do you understand what's awaiting you? Do you understand what's awaiting you? Are you getting excited about what's coming ahead? I know you're in pain now. I know it's devastating now. But do you understand there's so much more? And you can ask the questions. Have you put right with your family members? Because remember, they're going to be grieving your loss. And when you're grieving, when there's stuff that's not put right, it's very difficult to get over grief. All the regrets, I should have put right. All these things, the arguments, I should have put right. Moment to bring healing right there into a family on their deathbed. And I've been in these situations where you think, how do you bring this up? Like, Families there, they all like. Like I said to you, there is a point, and, and it, where is the line where you stop praying for you don't, the faith? Is no, you always got faith for God can heal at any time, in a moment. But the reality is, pastorally, in the in the moment, there's a line that you reach where you start preparing this person to die. That's not a lack of faith. That is just faith in the power of God to heal through death and an expectation for another life. Where's that line when you're journeying people with, you've got to ask God, it's a discernment. But you've got to eventually, when things are getting bad and things are getting worse and worse, you've got to eventually cross that line with tenderness and say, guys, you know what? You've got to start preparing your mom or your dad or whatever to meet Jesus now. And then help them. Tell them about the expectation for a new heaven and a new earth. Tell them about the expectation of of an intimacy with Jesus like they've never had before. Immediately. Tell them about how loved their sons and daughters are, depending on who it is. incredible moment to minister to people. But if we're scared of death, if we're worried, if, if, if we can't talk about it, if we can't do these things, friends, can I just say, get your, get your things in order. Have you got wills in place? 
To die in this country without a will is an absolute nightmare for your family. Go, if you, go to CNA and get a will. Or it's not CNA anymore, whatever it is. Go to the place, get a will, download one. You have to get a will, friends. Got to talk about these things. Got to get real about what you're going to face. Not scared of dying. I don't want you to be uninformed about those who die. Because you grieve, not like the rest of the world, without hope. If you're sitting here today and you have a fear of dying, can we just stand, please? Just so we're all standing. If you're sitting here today and you've got a fear of dying, I really felt this thing of panic attacks. I know panic attacks has got, I don't fully understand these things, but it's got to do with kind of anxiety and fear and eventually it becomes uncontrollable that it physically affects you. But the thing we need to know is what we have in Christ, we don't need to fear. We need to calm down. We need to rest in Him. We need to find peace in Him. If you have a fear of death, and if you struggle with panic attacks, particularly feeling like you're going to die, and I feel like God wants to touch you this morning. God wants to open your eyes, wants to, wants to give you a, a sense of peace and understanding of who He is, of His presence, of His life and His love. That when those moments come, your default will to be go into his love and his rest and not go into panic. If that's you, if that's you, why don't you just raise your hands just in surrender? Fear of death or just battle with Adrenaline and stuff, and I don't know, just panic attack. I don't know, just felt panic attacks. Maybe just in general, panic attacks. Just, just raise your hands. I want to pray for you, Father. I just thank you for your love and your life that is upon us and in us, Lord. Thank you that we can talk about death and dying and grieving and because death has lost its sting Lord we'd rather be with you than be here but we choose to be here because we've got work to do for you Lord I pray Lord God Somehow this morning, Lord God, that you, Holy Spirit, would come upon people, would overcome a fear of death, 
with your perfect love. I pray, Lord God, that you would overcome panic, that feeling like you're going to die. You would overcome it this morning, Lord God. You would reorganize. I'll bring healing into bodies, reorganize adrenal glands and thinking and all the stuff that's involved with those things, all those dynamics, Lord God, that you would put that back into place in the name of Jesus, Lord. Bring healing to bodies, Lord God, in your wonderful name. But Lord, I pray that you would put rightness in our thinking, Lord God, that the devil would not have access to our minds and into our thinking patterns that would lead us into paths of destruction. I pray for that in your amazing, amazing name, right now, Jesus. We thank you, we love you, we honor you. Holy Spirit, will you just minister to people? In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen.